Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Welcome to This Miraculous Life, broadcasting and recording live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Oliveri Olumba, and this show is all about tuning in with the miraculousness of life and liberating ourselves from all of the bullshit that gets in the way of connecting, being aware of, experiencing the miraculousness of life on a day-to-day basis. I have a life coaching practice here in Washington, D.C., and I have my master's degree in positive psychology, which is essentially the scientific study of human thriving. So, you know, pretty much the whole goal is for all of us to be experiencing our day-to-day lives as what they truly are, which is a profound and miraculous gift. And the truth is that takes effort. And that is what this show is about, is what is the effort that is actually going to help us to feel like we are living a miraculous life, because all of us actually are. So I am really excited about today's show. We are going to be talking about overcoming the difficulties, the challenges, the painful experiences that happen to us in our lives and how to become a functional, thriving person in spite of the the setbacks, the pains, the trauma, the difficulties that we may have faced in our lives. And I'm here today with two super special guests. I have Mr. Omari Francis. Hey, Omari. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Hi, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> that was the wrong time to call. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like a chuckle. I was like, that's an interesting, you know, it makes you sound about 50 years older than you actually are, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we, I haven't been on the, uh, on the radio for a while, so I'm a little nervous. Well, I'm glad you're here. I, that's okay. Nervousness, uh, I, I read before I, I, gave a, I gave a TED Talk a while ago. It was a TEDx, you know, at a school. No, nothing, nothing too fancy, but I got one of the best advice of my life in preparing for it, which is that um, it doesn't matter if you're nervous because if it doesn't it doesn't take away anything from the content of what you have to say and that even if everyone in the room can tell that i'm nervous if what i have to say is meaningful or important then people people will notice that i'm nervous but they will also receive the message and it will be impactful to them and that sometimes the nervousness actually shows how much i care about what I have to say. So that was was really impactful to me, just like a small tidbit, because prior to that, I think I spent a lot of energy, if I had to give a talk or a presentation or something, trying to ensure that I didn't exhibit any external signs of nervousness. Mm -hmm. And that distracted me a lot from what I was trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. You know, if I notice like, oh, my hand is shaking or my voice is quivering, then I might totally shift my energy to trying to fix that 
Meanwhile, I actually had something to say before I started thinking about my shaky hands. So that was that was impactful to me. That makes sense. So I appreciate your nervousness. I won't um, focus on it. <laughs> Perfect. And also here with Mr. Chris Price. Thanks for being here, Chris. I'm super excited to be here. Yay. I really am. <laughs> I really am. You, you know you. why? Because um, to me, full service has like a startup feel still. Yeah. Absolutely, I agree. And I think it I, still counts as a startup. It's only been what two years or less. Yeah, we're also here with Alexia Brown, our famous and fabulous studio engineer. Alexia, can you tell us how long Full Service Radio has been in existence? <laughs> yeah, the concept was incepted maybe like four or five years ago, but the actual practice of having people yeah. in the space—it's been two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that that counts as a startup, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And, I, and some I, places are like ten years old, and they still call themselves a startup. When I listen to your show, mm-hmm. I think you bring great value. And thank you. So, like, um, Amari is like one of my great friends. Mm-hmm. We have a show together. Yeah. And I grow a lot spiritually with him. So window, like, window seat podcast. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's yeah, nice. Was, it's I was nice to, ready to plug it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's <laughs> nice I didn't forget. To, <laughs> It's nice to be here with someone that's providing that value to the community yeah. and then, you know, my friend who helps me grow spiritually. So Amen. super thankful. Plus that. Sarah's just fun. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Sarah's fun. This is such a treat. <laughs> so Omari and Chris host a podcast called Window Seat on yeah. Full Service Radio. So you guys should definitely look that up. They they do a lot of interviews with influencers in the DC community. Can you guys share anything about Window Seat that you that you want folks to know? What's most important about the Window Seat podcast to you guys? I like that it gave me an opportunity to talk to people that I never thought that I would talk to. Yeah, and, you guys got some some really cool guests. And they were just like me. Mm. Like there was nothing significant about them except for what it was that they were doing right it was they they you know they weren't any smarter than anybody else out on the street they weren't any more uh, no disrespect right right (laughs) right like like even though they're famous they're still regular they're still regular people right yeah and they haven't done anything that anyone else couldn't do like that's the message that i took if i had to take an overall message from some from our guests which fits in well with our theme for today which is uh, overcoming, you know, overcoming the difficult things that have happened to us in our lives. And I think a lot of a lot of times things happen to people, especially when we're young, but even when we're old, that are actually outside of our control. And the question is, you know, are we going to are we going to be able to have a meaningful, fulfilling, thriving life? in spite of experiencing perhaps more adversity or more pain or you know some some bad stuff that not everybody has to go through so uh we were talking a little bit about this before the show Omari and Chris you know I'm 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 interested to hear about your experiences too I know everybody has experienced you know people the degree to which people have experienced adversity trauma um pain I think really varies but I think it's fair to say that everybody has experienced some kind of adversity or pain in their lives that was that was outside of their control you know and I think something that a lot of people are struggling with particularly if they feel that the extent of the adversity that they have experienced is greater than the average person you know I think a lot of people really struggle with how 
how how could I become a functional, thriving, happy individual when I've had all of these painful, traumatizing experiences? You know how how that that was taken off the table for me, sort of at a very young age, and. I think a lot of people really, really have a hard time creating a functional, happy life for themselves um, if they are aware that the pain and the difficulty that they have experienced is perhaps more than the person next to them. And, And they kind of discount themselves from the possibility of even having a really good life in spite of that pain. So I would I would love to hear your thoughts, Omari. We were talking a little bit before the show about some of the difficult experiences that you've overcome, and you know what you experienced as uh, a young person, as a child, and how you ha- how you you know the feeling you communicated a feeling that you've overcome a lot, and right. I think that's a very empowering positive thing to say so I would love to just start off by hearing a little bit more about the experiences in your life that you have had to overcome so um, when I was about seven years old my parents were divorced Mm -hmm. and my mother got into a relationship um with a man who was abusive. Mm. And so me and my older brother were living with them. Right. And him and I and my mother, mm-hmm. um, you know, essentially experienced every form of abuse mm-hmm. um, aside from sexual abuse. Right. Until I was about um, 13 years old, 13, mm-hmm. 14 years old, when I left that environment. Mm. Yeah. So what, so, I mean, first of all, thank you for being willing to share that. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm sorry not to cut you off. That's but, okay. Um, you know, it was probably about five or six years ago that I felt comfortable, uh, even saying that out loud. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was because I saw someone else do it. Right. Mm. And they were talking about their experiences with their dad. Yeah. And he was talking about how his dad, you know, broke his jaw. He just said it like it was, you know, he was saying something that he had saw in the news. Like, he said his dad broke his jaw all the time. Mm. And he was like, but I love him to death. And he was, you know, just talking about it. And I, later on, I asked him about it. He was like, you know, for him, it, it, it didn't seem like it was something that was weighing him down. And I wanted to get to that point. Right. And so, you know, I would choose people that I felt that I could trust mm-hmm. to share little mm-hmm. things with. And for me, it was kind of a test to see if they, how they would respond. Right. And, um, you know, one of the things I'm happy about now, at least today, yeah. is that I've challenged myself to like, just talk about it in, yeah. in this, in this form. I have a question. Yeah. In your opinion, what does talking about it do for you? Like, how is that helpful? How is that healing? Um, a lot of, for me, it feels like it's something that is a bad thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's sad. Like, a lot of the time, 
that I was uh, abused when I was a kid, it was because I supposedly did something wrong, mm, right? Mm-hmm. It was like it was a quote-unquote punishment. It was a punishment. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, or you know, prior to me talking about it, it felt like, it still felt like I had done something wrong, right? So mm-hmm. if if I were to tell someone something about it and then they were to ask a question or, you know, a lot of times people would say, well, why did your mom stay? Or why didn't you do this? Or why mm-hmm. didn't you do that? It makes me, you know, it would make me feel like I had done something wrong. Or if I felt like they um, treated me differently or, you know, maybe they didn't want to be friends anymore or whatever, it would still feel like a punishment, like I had done something wrong. Right. So essentially something that someone could use against me mm. and I didn't want them to to you know have this thing over me right but um you know i don't think it's anything to have over somebody so how did you how did you given that and what i if i'm interpreting it right it sounds like prior to starting to challenge yourself to talk more about it you didn't want to talk about it because you almost felt like the abuse that you experienced was un- like reflected negatively of you. Yes. Yeah. Like it said something bad about you or what you did or how you behaved or choices you made or something like that. Yeah. Or yes. Or it, 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 it influenced another person's opinion of me or what they thought of me or how they viewed me. Mm. And I wanted to, control as much as I could I guess to how someone because I didn't think that they would think positively of me it was always a negative opinion that someone would would have diminish their opinion exactly if they knew that right and or it would be Mm -hmm. you know a tool you know again like I abuse comes in so many forms Mm -hmm. I've learned and if someone has something that they could say to you Mm -hmm. that they could use to hurt you or to diminish you diminish your idea diminish your position your thought whatever yeah you know my experience was that they would use it right so i didn't want to give anybody anything that i thought they would use in a in a way that could hurt me right right, so i would you know only trusted people that i didn't think would hurt me right so I have a couple questions. This is really helpful. So it sounds like there was someone who you t- you heard talk about their own experience of yeah. abuse, and that helped you realize that it could be possible to share your experience without it diminishing someone's opinion of you. Absolutely, but that was you know probably ten years you know ten years ago now, mm-hmm. and even now, mm-hmm. you know. I, I can count on my one hand. I won't use all my fingers the amount of people that I've told, right? you know, this to. You, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, did, I can only think of one person that I've actually went into significant detail, detail right. about everything. Right. So. So, no, this is, this is, so what I hear, and I think this is really powerful and important, is that every time you challenge yourself to talk about the experience of abuse that you had, you also challenge yourself to believe that two things. One, that talking talking about that experience, letting people know that about you, it's possible to do that without it diminishing their opinion of you. Mm-hmm. And second, I think on a deeper level, that having experienced that abuse does not diminish you. 
Well, yes, yes. No, it does not diminish me. It diminish me in two. Their opinion doesn't matter. Right. So right. It, so it's not about right. what they think. What it and it what it does is give me an opportunity to learn who this person is. Right. Right. So tell me about that piece. What are you mentioned that you you know you're really conscientious about who you share this with because you're looking for someone who you can trust, right. who you feel like. I can trust how they're going to respond right. to this sensitive information. Yeah. What are you looking for in a person to share something like this with them? And what are you looking for in their response? Um, what I was looking for, well, what I knew I felt was that it was something that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, you know, for a long time, I could only talk about it with people who knew. Mm-hmm. And then the people right. who did know, it was often an unspoken thing like we don't really have to talk about it because you know right you mean Um, the people who were experiencing it the people who were experiencing it with me and then like my family uh knew enough right right so you know i was separated from my my family because me and my older brother were with uh my mother and Mm -hmm. and one of the forms of abuse was we weren't um well, we were allowed, but of course there would be a consequence if I, I interacted with, you know, my other the other side of my family, uh, the paternal right. side of so my family. So you weren't family. allowed, really. Right, I wasn't allowed. Yeah. And, you know, me and my, my older brother, we still, like, we would skip school and stuff like that to go and, you know, visit with my, mm-hmm. my little brothers. But for the most part, you know, I was estranged from my family from, you know, seven to... You know, there were periods where, mm-hmm. you know, but anyway, yeah. So, um, the, what I was looking for was a safe space, really, just somewhere where I could felt like I could talk freely and be me, and know that I would be accepted just for right. for for being me. Right. Um, and how could like let's say let's say that you were sharing with me. Right. How could I demonstrate that? I accepted you. Just listening, mm-hmm. not saying anything. Right. And if you, you know, if our relationship was you made fun of me, you continued to make fun of me, you didn't mm. stop. If our relationship was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we hung out all the time and, you know, we... Oh, wait. So you're saying if if prior to receiving this information, I made fun of you a lot. Right. You want me to just keep making fun of you. I want like, you to be... Treat you the treat way, me the way that you treated I've always me before, been right? You. Because, it, because mm-hmm. it, there's a reason why I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sharing this information with right. you, right? Right. I've, obviously, people make... Right. We make fun of everybody. Right. And, and usually, we make fun of... The people we make fun of the most, if we're not like mean people right. are the people that we love sure so so if i if i know that you're we're joking yeah of course if you're making fun of me i'm gonna make fun of you right so we're we're um it's not be not do something where i'm like wow this like changes my right whole perception so now you're afraid you. that if you yeah. if you say something it might hurt my feelings so yeah, you don't yeah, want to yeah. this is just you right. know i obviously this is something that i need to be able to talk about right right, right. and I think that you're somebody who's, you know, you have the character, uh, the personality that can receive it. And, you know, if one day I want to talk about something, you'll understand because, you know, if one day I say, you know, I don't want to go somewhere Mm -hmm. or I didn't like how a person was talking to me, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone else may not get it, but you will get it because, you know. Right. And so I, I have a space now that I can where I can express that to to someone right which is really important you know because 
I wasn't going to therapy or anything like yeah. that. So. So, my, so my first takeaway uh, in terms of overcoming, what's the word that you would use? What's, what word resonates with you? Like overcoming? Yeah, I, I like overcoming. Overcoming what? Overcoming, like what should I call it? Should I, just as a general, not necessarily exactly your experience, but anything that anyone has experienced that they feel was a painful, uh, you know, difficult thing that happened to them should i call it pain should i call it adversity should i call it trauma what i i call it trauma yeah okay because i because cool. i think that's the thing that lasts yeah because it's a it's a trauma sticks with you right Absolutely. i mean oh, adversity yes but adversity could be i think trauma is most accurate right yeah I so i want to make sure yeah, that, that i would say trauma it, okay. it wasn't um mm-hmm. like i i sometimes I don't, and I don't know if it's appropriate, right? But I think that it's important to, like, talk, I hear people talk about um, abuse and different things. Yeah. And uh, it's help. Often it's helpful for me to hear about their specific experiences yeah. because, you know, one person can say every there's no none is greater than the other, right? Mm-hmm. Right. To sure. me, in my opinion. I hear you. But. Um, you know, I think often people hear, well, that happened to me and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And so they don't necessarily uh, mm-hmm. receive it, what I'm saying in right. a way to that or what anyone says anyway at, to invalidate. They invalidate the other person by saying I'm okay. Right. Or the other person's experiences. Right. And then again, you know, it may make someone else feel like if they're hearing this or witnessing it or whatever. Right. That you know, this is something that should be okay because mm-hmm. this person had the same experience and it's okay. But everybody is, everybody's experience is different. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's really essential. And it's also, you know, I think about, I think that that happens a lot. And it's also, it's one of those things where it's so hard to say because it's, even if the facts of the experience sort of written out on paper look identical, that doesn't mean that the environment, that the emotions, that, you know, the context was identical. Right. You know, right. and I think a lot of times people make a mistake in, in thinking, oh, this this thing ha- that happened to one person that felt abusive and traumatic to them. You know, I'm I'm relating it to an experience that I have that sounds identical to me. But the reality of the situation is that it wasn't identical and the factors that make it so different might be invisible, you know, to describe. Um, And in addition to that, everybody is entitled to sort of understand their own experience the way that they understand their own experience. Right. And nobody... No, no, nobody should be able to tell us differently, you know? Yeah. But my first takeaway from you, Omari, which I think is really valuable and I want to remember and I want to be able to tell to people is that if we have experienced trauma, it is empowering and it is, you know, I would use the word even liberating 
to, and you can tell me if that resonates with you, Omari, to challenge ourselves to talk about it because often, and I do find this, often when we've experienced trauma or when a person has experienced trauma, there is shame surrounding the trauma and there's a feeling that somehow because they experienced this, it's, you know, it's either it's their fault or it reflects negatively on them or it just diminishes other people's perception of them, but also their perception of themselves. And like you said, you know, even even if it is going to diminish someone else's perception of you by speaking about it, what you communicate is that it doesn't diminish my perception of myself. Right. I don't accept I don't accept that shame. Right. You know, I don't I don't this this is not something that I did to myself and it's not something that reflects at all on who I am as a person. Right. In terms of like makes me anything less than anybody who hasn't experienced this trauma. Right. Is that right? That's absolutely right. So I think that's really powerful and I didn't even think that that would come up today, but it's something I've been thinking about actually in talking, you know, sort of a a slightly different um, type of trauma. I hear a lot of people who have been in some kind of abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's physically abusive or emotionally abusive and they really want to... Uh, disguise or conceal that they had that experience because they feel that if people know that that happened to them, then the person is going to think less of them, you know? And I think that that is very trapping, you know? And it's also, it's, it's really unfair to ourselves because sort of the definition of abuse is that it's not it's not your fault you know and that it could happen it could happen to anyone mm-hmm. you know yeah and as a kid yeah you're a kid right right so right. i mean yeah so do you think that that like what i what i just said about an abusive relationship that feel does that feel like it doesn't relate with the experience of childhood abuse that cuz that would be no. totally fair that would make sense no, to me I, too i do think it 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 relates i mean any to me abuse trauma in any form can affect a person you don't know how it it'll affect you and you don't know how it, you'll carry it right you know in throughout your life right and um A lot of times you won't realize that maybe some of the things you do or don't do are a result of this trauma that you experienced. Right. And so it can ha- it could happen yeah. in in an abusive relationship mm-hmm. and it could happen at, you know, as a kid, it can happen. You know, it could happen if you you can be an abuser and not realize that mm. you're you're an abuser mm-hmm. and it can affect you and how you interact with other people because you believe that this behavior is okay mm. because you've been doing it and no one's told you that there's anything wrong with it. Right. You know, it could happen um, even if you're not in a relationship where you can be uh, an employee. Any, 
anybody that you believe you have power over, right. you can potentially be um, be an abuser. And I think that if you feel like, if you believe someone has power over you, unless you're in a position of where you, right. you, know, you can't do anything about it, you, a lot, you put yourself in a position to be abused. Right. And I guess, yeah, I, I, I agree. I would also say, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would. I, I would. For me, I would be I would be cautious about the language of putting yourself in a position to be abused, because I feel like the reality is that there are power dynamics. Like you said, if you're a child, you don't have power right. the way that an adult has power. Right. You know, in relationships, there are power dynamics. Maybe somebody has financial power. Maybe somebody has physical power. Those things are real. And I think that's part of where the shame comes from is the feeling like, at least this is what I've heard some people communicate. Like if I was strong enough or if I was better or et cetera, then I wouldn't have put myself in a position to be abused or I wouldn't have received this abuse. And I think, you know, the reality is that when someone is abused, they're a victim and and they're a victim because a person who has some kind of power that that you like you don't have. The reality is that all of us, there are ways in which all of us have power and ways in which all of us lack power. Mm -hmm. And that person is abusing that power mm-hmm. to treat you badly. Right. And there is often, like, there's there's nothing that you can do. There's, no, there's nothing that you could have done, mm-hmm. you know, to make them not abuse their power, you know? That's, that's true. I think um, what I, my experience is, is that, for me, I gave people a lot of power that, that mm. they didn't have. It was my belief system mm. and the opinions I had of myself mm-hmm. and the opinions I had of them mm-hmm. that, for example, if I if I, I felt like if I shared this information with yeah. somebody, they would have power over me because now they had this information. Got it. Right, right. And right. so if, if, and it's only because of what I, they didn't have any power. Right. It's what I, it's what I, you know, what I gave them. Right. So absolutely in certain, in certain forms, people have power. Yeah. Or if you want something bad enough and they believe in you and they, uh, are an avenue for you to accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish or get whatever you want to get, they may use that as, right. as a power, um, tool. But there are forms in situations where I think I gave people more power than what Got they it. had. I put people on pedestals. Yeah. I gave them opportunities right. to use power that they didn't have. Right. So I diminished myself and elevated them. Right. And, it, you know, in hindsight, you know, it could have been because this is the role that I'm used to. I spent the majority of my childhood in those positions. Where, right. So it was what was comfortable for right. me. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think I was thinking about, you know, I was talking um, with with my nine-year-old uh, yesterday and we were talking about somebody finding themselves in an abusive situation. <clears throat> and he and he was like, yeah, you know, well, why didn't, why they, you know, they could do this and they could, they could run away. And I was like, no. Like, it's not that simple, no. you know, like they're this, this person, uh, who, 
was experiencing this abuse was your age. Right. They're nine. If you run away, what are you going to do? You're mm-hmm. a kid. You can't, you can't provide for yourself. You can't story. have anywhere to live. I have a great story for that. Yeah? I tell, think, I think it would be helpful. Because, you know, you're taught as a kid you should tell yeah. if something is happening to yeah. you. So, um, you know, my family is, is, is from New York. And, and when I, just before I was born, my father and my, and my mother moved uh, to D.C. for a job. Mm-hmm. And then when they were divorced... Uh, my mother moved back with her mother who was living in New York. So for, you know, from like, I, I remember things by grades, not ages. So I would say from like the second grade to about the fifth grade about, I, you know, I, was, I lived in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, we lived in, the, you know, my mother grew up in a, in a building uh, in New York and everyone in the building you know in, in new york just like rent control right mm-hmm. so you once you get an apartment you pass it down to right. you you it, stay there right you and so, so so grandma yeah. lived there and then when she dies she passes it down to her daughter and so families yeah. you know my mother knew everybody in the building and as a result i knew everybody in the building all the kids played together we all went to the same school mm-hmm. and so my mother so my father lived down the hall from my mother mm-hmm. and my cousins lived down the hall. Oh, so that's how they met. That's how they met when they were, when they were teenagers or he's older than her, but whatever. She was like 20 or something like that. That's how they met. I get it. And then, uh, you know, so when they moved here, Mm -hmm. my aunt was still living there. So she raised her kids there Mm -hmm. and my grandmother lived down the hall. So Mm -hmm. whenever we went to New York, it was like, we were, you know, going to see family, whatever. So when I was, uh, and me and one of my cousins, we're the same age. So we were in the same grade. Mm-hmm. And so everyone in the building knew what was happening in our apartment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know. I, I still don't know why no one took any action to help us. Mm. Right. But next door to us was back then it was called BCW, Bureau of Child Welfare. Okay. And um, the, uh, the, the, I don't remember her. I, I don't remember her name. I wouldn't say her name anyway. But she used to work there. And and she made a, I believe she made a report. Somebody in the building made a report that we were being abused. So they came to the school to talk to us. And I remember um, telling them what was what had happened. You told them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's more details. But essentially, I told them what was happening, honest, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, like, two or three weeks later, they came to our apartment and they got us. Mm-hmm. And you I remember... your brother. Me and my brother. Mm-hmm. And I remember... The social worker taking us to it was probably a restaurant, but it felt like a bar to us. Yeah. And he was asking <laughs> us, he was asking us to tell him what happened. Yeah, at a bar or a restaurant. I okay. don't know what what was it was. This was the you know in high, at being an adult and, and you know I get it all yeah. this stuff. I'm like this, this this was not right. Whatever he was doing, right? Yeah. But we wanted to go home. We were crying. We were like, yeah. I, we don't know what's happening, that but we want to go home. Was traumatic, right? Yeah. So he said. Um, if you write a letter mm-hmm. saying everything that you did, mm. you can go home. Mm. Right? So we did. Everything that you did. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Everything that happened to us. Everything that he did. My mother's husband. Okay. If you write a letter saying everything that happened to you. Then you can go then home. Then you can go home. Okay. Which we did. Uh-huh. And we did not go home. So we were in foster care for uh, probably a year. A yeah. little over a year. And so he didn't really tell the truth. 
No, he didn't tell the truth. Yeah. And we were, you know. He deceived you. I mean, that's the way I would put it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But so then when the first time we saw our mom and her husband, mm-hmm. we, me and my brother were, I, we were punished, essentially. I, it wasn't right. like we didn't do anything wrong. It was like you guys told. Right. So you're where you're supposed to be. Right. And all of this was coming from him because uh, she was being abused as well. So, right. you know, but, you know, that was the message that we got. And now we're saying, no, we didn't tell. This is what, you know, this is what he said right. for they us to, to do. Us. Yeah. Right. If we write these things and he's like, I oh, know I saw what you wrote. I know you, you, this is what you said. Right. You're, you, why would you say those things? And we're like, no, we didn't. That's not true. This is what he told us. So it was like we had to lie about being honest about what was really happening in order for us to be, you know, not to, right. to say you're being, this is what you get for saying what happened. Right. And so the reason why we ended up coming home is because we had to repeatedly go to court, repeatedly tell everybody the thing that was really happening wasn't happening, wasn't happening and that Damn. this person told us to write these things, which he did, right. told us to write these things right. so we can go home, right? Right. So, you know, for a, a child being in that position, again, you know, a lot of times people will say, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? But there's so many layers. So many things could happen. Exactly. And you don't know how it's going to exactly how it's going to turn out for the person like and you hear stories all the time about a person being abused a person in an abusive relationship calling the police the police not doing anything absolutely and so it's easy from the outside looking in to say that you know absolutely yeah and i remember you know leaving a group home which was the best place like i didn't want to leave in my heart i didn't Mm. want to leave you Um, had a positive experience there it was the best experience there that's amazing um but that was, you know, one of we were in four different places. Right. We ran away was, twice. Like it was it was, you know, we went to. So we were originally living in in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And then the first place they sent us to was in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And we were there for a couple of months. And, uh, you know, my mother came. We were going to um, the Boys and Girls Club and she would come to the Boys and Girls Club and meet us and talk to us. And one day she gave my brother. No, she told my brother. I don't I didn't know this till later. Um, cause they stopped telling me once they mm-hmm. learned that I said something, they stopped telling me and no one told me anything. Right. So, um, they were afraid of, they were afraid yeah, of you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, my, my mother talked, told my brother and they devised this plan and then we were getting allowance. So that Friday when we got our allowance, we went inside the boys and girls club. We waited for the guy to leave and we hopped on the train and went home. Mm-hmm. And then they came and they took us to another place in Harlem. We ran away. And they, they took us to Brooklyn because I guess they figured we can't get home from there. <laughs> and they were right. They were right. They were right. <laughs> so, so, but they, the, the place that we went to in Brooklyn, they didn't want us there. Yeah. And we were good kids. Yeah. But that, was, that hurt because what, it's like we didn't, you know. What do you mean they didn't want you there? Well, they, they said we, they called them and they told them to come and get us. Like they didn't. You know, you could tell this was a foster home. This is a foster home, so they called the the you know the the BCW. Yeah, and they told them, like you you know the environment if you're if you're welcome or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, are, the details aren't clear because I was at you this point, it's like eight years old, maybe. Right. 
Absolutely. Um, so I so but I I know they didn't want us there because they when we when they were taking us from there to the group home, mm-hmm. they gave us you know the group home was supposed to be a punishment. Mm-hmm. So they gave us a long talk about if we give them any problems at the group home, we're gonna go to the residential facility right. and all of these things. Um, so it was it was implied in that conversation and then the environment in the group in the foster home that they didn't want us there. Yeah. And then I remember leaving, being at the group home and it being the best experience. It was mm. all boys, but it was like we were uh, family. Yeah. They still didn't tell me anything, but like, you know, the, the guys, because I was the youngest at this point, And it wasn't because yeah. they wanted to keep secrets from me. They just the figured the baby was going to tell. Sure. So they would like the older guys would be singing out, going to parties. Right. And this is like, you know. And you were like eight. I'm like eight. Yeah. So of course they couldn't tell me. So, but this is like you know the late '80s. So they're like pulling speakers into the the driveway right. and dancing, and, you know, like playing what whatever they were playing and like dancing in in the street. And it was it was just so much fun. Right. Like having friends come in the morning to walk to school. Yeah. It, it didn't feel like I was. It just felt normal. Right. Um, and I remember leaving. It was a welcoming it was environment. A, it was a welcoming environment. Yeah. And I remember leaving and feeling like uh, I was afraid that I was going to get in trouble. Mm. So we're in like the van and they're driving us home with all of our stuff. After this is when you're leaving the group home. Leaving the group home to go back to my mother and her husband. Uh-huh. And I remember feeling like afraid. Like, oh shit, I'm going to get in trouble. Because you had because of where you were coming from. No, just, just I was so general. used to that. Just that's what happens when you. That go was there. life. Yeah, I, right. I you know you I didn't know what I would do wrong to get in trouble. Right. You know it could just be yeah, anything. Anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that story demonstrates really clearly how the the shame that people feel around the abuse that they experience is just so uh, unfounded, you know, like it's understandable, but unfounded in the sense that there's like there, there's not it's it, it's it's not about you. Yeah. You know, it's not about you at all. It's about this other person and them just exercising their power, their bad intentions, you know, their, uh, you know, whatever word we want to use, their evil, their evilness over you. And, And as a kid, I think it's just such a, your story is just such a clear demonstration that as a child, you, we, as children, we are so vulnerable and we really we have to um, we have to rely on adults like that's all we can do. Right. No matter what, even you know all these environments that you described, the one thing that they all have in common is that you you were kind of being bounced around from environment like basically passed from like one adult to the next yeah. who. And you're like, okay, you know, I have no choice but to allow an adult to take responsibility for me. Mm -hmm. Because when you're eight, you cannot take responsibility for yourself. That is not an option. And so, you know, I think it just clearly demonstrates 
how, you know, any person who experiences abuse, it's that abuse is happening to them, not because of them, you know? Absolutely. Um, so there, I feel like there's so much more to say and I, I want to, I feel like this is really painting a really important picture of overcoming childhood trauma, which is something that not in this, not necessarily in the same way that you have experienced it and grappled with it, Omari, Mm -hmm. but that a lot of people are grappling with it. And we talked before the show about putting pressure on yourself to perform. I read this, I read this thing on Instagram the other day that I snapshotted and I want to kind of share it to set us up for our part two of this (laughs) Uh, but will smith has this quote that i thought was really powerful he said you can't achieve your way out of childhood trauma uh and i i i see a lot of people trying to do that i def that's i've never heard that before but that some of the things that i think that i thought were important like goals and what um what valid would have validated me right. if I accomplished these things would were more achievements. Yeah. Right. So I want to, I want to dig into that a little bit more next time and, and, and talking a little bit more about the how of overcoming trauma, uh, and, and what is necessary to tell yourself what actions are necessary to take and how it's possible to become a thriving adult in spite of, experiencing trauma Um, but my key takeaways from today are number one is just starting to have conversations with yourself when you've experienced trauma if you've experienced trauma about the shame that there may be surrounding that trauma and to be honest with yourself about that and to be willing to confront and to think about that shame and then once you know once you kind of understand it wrap your head around it realize that it's there then an important pathway to liberating yourself from that shame is to talk about it and that talking about it is a way to demonstrate that even even regardless of how other people respond that you know that having experienced this trauma does not diminish you, does not reflect negatively on you, right? Yes. I, I do want to add. Yeah, please. For add. me, from my, my experience, um, a lot of times, a lot of the things that happen, I, I didn't acknowledge it. Like I just kind of pushed it down uh-huh. and, and tried not to think about it. And then hearing my voice yeah saying it yeah was probably better than than because it made it real yeah and i think that for me was like the the really the first step was to accept that these things really happen mm. um and it 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 ha- it has affected you like you're not right. okay right and 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 so hearing my voice say it as a and usually when we talk we need someone else to talk to. Yeah. And often we probably choose the wrong person right. because I've met a lot of people who are just, they just tell everybody everything yeah. and it doesn't seem like that helps. So talking does help, but who you talk to is important. But 
for me, it was really important just to accept that it was real. It happened, and um, mm. it just—it's not okay. And it, like as you said, like it doesn't—I shouldn't be ashamed of anything. But right. you know what happened wasn't okay. Right. But it—it it really did happen, and it has had a sev- serious uh, impact, negative right. impact on me. Right. So that that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I it wouldn't sound- tell anybody to speak in a mirror or something like that. But hearing my voice say yeah. was was a big. And it sounds like for you, actually, talking out loud about it was a prerequisite to understanding the shame and working through the shame. Like the talking about it is what allowed you to understand and attune to that. Is that right? Yeah, I, I don't. I, it's hard for me. I don't know. I don't know it's what words. Yeah, I don't know what words to use. I just know that that was because I, I thought about it, mm-hmm. and it was easy to think about it. Right. And not, so in my head, it was real. I knew it was real. But there was so it was something so powerful about hearing my voice. Right. Say, I was abused. Right. You know, or and then to speak, you know, in detail about the different things that happened and the different things that I overcome. It, you know, just saying I was abused does not. Uh, right. It will never capture what actually happened. Right. If I told somebody in detail, right, what happened, it will never fully capture what happened because you can't. Right. The emotion isn't there. The experience right. isn't there. The right. You know, the feeling, the smells, the the yeah. everything is real. Right. And you know, my voice helped it become like present. Right. And that making it present was was important. So, okay, so there's a few so a few takeaways that I would list for people who are trying to overcome their own trauma. And I guess maybe it's in no particular order. Maybe the order is less important. But the, the things the takeaways that I have is number one, it's important to speak about it. Uh and to have the courage to speak about it because that takes a lot of courage. Number two, it's important to acknowledge the reality of what you experienced and that pretending that it it, it didn't happen or that it wasn't as bad or that, you know, you're fine, you know, everything is cool or, or just saying, you know, that happened, but I don't think about it. I've moved past it. It doesn't affect me. That is actually what keeps you stuck and keeps you trapped. So acknowledging acknowledging the experience, as painful as that may be. Uh, number three, it sounds like finding people who you trust and who you believe are going to reinforce this hope that you have that having experienced this trauma does not diminish you and sharing with those people, connecting with those people. So find, find the people who you feel uh, can handle it to receive this information and who you can trust are going to reinforce this idea that having experienced trauma does not diminish you. So those are, those are the three key things that I hear. And then I guess the last one would be continuing to work through the shame and, you know, the, the feelings that even though intellectually you might know and understand and embrace that it's not your fault, 
that having experienced trauma and experienced abuse doesn't make you any less. It doesn't say anything negative about you. But confronting that, even if you believe that, it often may feel that way anyway. And that is the shame and acknowledging that the shame exists and just doing your part to continue to dispel the shame essentially like if you can acknowledge that the shame is there then that gives you more power to not be controlled or influenced by the shame did i get that right yeah sounds good to me awesome and uh chris thanks for listening i would love to get i would (laughs) love to get more of your (laughs) more of your opinions and experiences next time Uh, but i wanted to make sure that we really that we didn't miss anything so Thank you so much, Omari and Chris, for being here. Omari, thank you for being willing to share your experiences and your story. I think it will be really valuable to anybody who listens, but particularly anybody who has an experience where they feel like they can even remotely relate, Uh, not just because the tips that you gave are so essential, but also because I think it's powerful to hear that anybody has an experience that relates to the trauma that we went through, you know? So thank you for having the courage to open up to us. I think that's extremely brave. And I think it shows how much you have been able to thrive um, in spite of the trauma that you experienced. So thank you for listening. And we will continue this episode about overcoming childhood trauma in the future. Have a miraculous day. (laughs) 